we're aspiring to be better. And that has to come with incremental behavioral change. So whether that applies to the food that's on your plate or the consumer products that you choose to put your dollar towards, the idea is to be more mindful, to do a little bit better tomorrow than you did today, to be that agent of change with the understanding that I'm not perfect and ultimately I have to be okay with that. But you have to take care of yourself first because you can't tend to others or to the world unless you're taking care of yourself first. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey everybody, how you guys doing? What's happening? My name is Rich Roll, I am your host. Welcome to my podcast. Happy to be coming at you with another special midweek edition of the show. I'm here in New York City right now. Uh, what am I doing here? Well, I spoke at Goldman Sachs yesterday in front of a bunch of hedge fund managers. That was really quite interesting and kind of amazing. It was a different crowd for me, of course, uh, but it was a fantastic opportunity to share my story and talk about food systems and the impact of animal agriculture on our environment and on personal health and on global health. It went well. It was really well received, and I consider it to be an honor anytime I'm asked to get up and, and talk in front of people. Uh, the opportunity to disrupt from within, right? Uh, I also did a phenomenal podcast with Bruce Friedrich from the Good Food Institute, all about the future of food. That's going to be coming to you guys soon. I was a guest today on Dan Harris's podcast, 10% Happier. I love that guy. We had a really good time. So I'll share that with you guys when that goes live. I had dinner with podcast favorite John Joseph. Can't come to New York City without seeing that guy. He's coming to LA next week. So I'm going to do another podcast with him. I know there's a lot of anticipation uh, about hearing uh, the two of us get together again. And what can I say? A bunch of meetings. Uh, it's been really great. I love the energy here. It's freezing though. I came here straight from Australia. I didn't bring any cold weather clothes. So uh, that's been interesting, uh, but it's been great. I love coming here. And speaking of Australia, as many of you guys know, we were recently down under over the last two weeks. And when we were there, we did two amazing events, both in Sydney and Melbourne. We had great audiences of about 500 each in attendance, and it was really wonderful. Uh, and during the Sydney event, Julie and I had a really dynamic, fun Q&A session. And I just thought that it was something that would be worthy of sharing on the podcast with you guys. Uh, so that's what this episode is all about. I'm going to share that Q&A session with you. But before we get into that, a couple quick announcements. If you'd like to support this show and my work, there's a couple ways to do that. Uh, the most effective and easiest way to do it is to just share it with your friends or on social media, around the water cooler, at the dinner table, what have you. You can leave a review on iTunes. And while you're at it, click that subscribe button. If you're going to buy something on Amazon, click through the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com or just type in richroll.com forward slash Amazon. Uh, it doesn't cost you anything extra, but they kick us some commission change and that really does support us tremendously. And you can also support my work on Patreon. And I just want to thank everybody who has taken that extra step to uh, support what I do financially. That means a tremendous amount to me. Okay, everybody, we'll be back in a couple secs. But first, we're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. 
but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life and recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation, a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media.
Okay, so let's just get into it. This is Julie and I live on stage from Paddington Town Hall in Sydney, Australia, uh, and followed by, at the very end, a live rendition by Julie, backed by McClay Harriet, who is our friend and the photographer responsible for all the amazing lifestyle images in our cookbook, The Plant Power Way, uh, of Julie's song, In the Sun. So I hope you guys enjoy it. You in the morning thanks you guys for coming out I appreciate it very much yeah what come closer it's too far I do away. what she tells me that's all right so we thought that we would open it up to questions and we have a roving microphone around here so we here? Oh. No, hello. Yeah, he's back Starting there, though. The back. She's raising her hand. Yeah. Ah, oh, there we are, right here. Yes, please. What's your name? Carrie. Hi, Carrie. You can blame my friend for bringing me here. <laughs> um, I've really enjoyed tonight. I have a two-part question. Are your children on a plant-based diet? And how do you deal with other people's constant curiosity if they are on a plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. Do you want to start? Do you want to start with that or would you uh, need to take Yeah, I, I didn't understand the second part of the question. How do we deal with... Oh, well, with, with people's... You mean being uh, weird? I'll be straight. How do you deal with people's... No, not weird at all, but how do you deal with people's negativity? Uh, Why okay. aren't you giving your yeah, children meat? You're killing yes, them and yes. blah, blah, okay. blah. Oh, okay. Uh, yes. The Oliver, baby killer thing. The baby killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The cartoon. <laughs> All of our children are vegan, yes, um, and uh, it's been a, you know, it's been a journey for all of us. We didn't start off, we weren't born, we didn't give birth to a vegan family, like that's not exactly how it happened. So just a, you know, quick summary is I was raised on game meat in Alaska, my dad was a hunter, so I had that experience. And then um, I, as you guys heard in Rich's talk, I healed myself of a cyst in my neck using Ayurveda, which is primarily a plant-based diet and some very potent herbs that were very aromatic. Um, but I was, you know, I was very healthy vegetarian. Rich was eating very unhealthy processed foods. One of our sons has always been naturally vegetarian and the other son was eating what we used to call clean meat. And um, then our little girls, which, you know, my boys are a different dad, it's a different marriage, so they used to go halftime with their dad and he would try to shove meat in them and then I would get them back, so we had that thing. And then Rich and I had, have two little girls um, that, I, that we had together and they have always been vegetarian um, and they became vegan later after Rich went vegan. And really, the way that we did it is we've allowed each family member their own journey. And we really are careful to be respectful and uh, to cultivate unconditional love in our kitchen. I think if you brought violence into your kitchen, you've, you've missed. And we have to be very careful as parents that we don't start creating eating disorders in our children because we're so freaked out about everything they're eating. So we're kind of loose, we kind of flow, but I, ha I make a lot of amazing vegan meals. We let everybody have their own journey. Um, as early as a month ago, my nine-year-old wanted to try an egg, and I said, fine, order the egg. 
she tried it, she didn't like it, but it's her experience. She owns that experience. So if we go to a birthday party and our kids want to have a piece of pizza, we're, we let them have that autonomous decision what they do. And then later, when they don't feel good or they have a stomach ache or they remember the environmental consequences and they, they talk about it, we can retrace that and give them that experience so that they imbibe it. So in other words, uh, we try to not create rigidity around rules about what you can and can't do, because when you do that, you plant a seed for a later rebellion, especially with a young child who then becomes a teenager, and there's something to resist against, right? So instead of that, <clears throat> like Julie said, it's about autonomy, but it's also about trying to create and foster and cultivate uh, a meaningful emotional connection to not just food, but where food comes from, why we're eating certain foods and not other foods. So everything is sort of an evolving, uh, organic, uh, to, to use a pun, um, food homeschooling experience from going to the supermarket, to the farmer's market, to why we're choosing this food and not that food. We bring the kids into every aspect of that equation. And then when we get home, the kids unpack the groceries. We involve them at a very young age in the preparation, especially of the evening meal. So early on, they're learning how to make recipes. And when a young child knows how to make a healthy recipe, there is a sense of agency that comes with that, that creates that, that bond and that emotional connection. Then they want to make it. They're proud of it. There's a self-esteem that comes with that. And my feeling is that, and Julie's feeling, is that that creates uh, patterning for long-term success. So it's not about what they're doing in the short term. They want to experiment with an egg or, or try the chocolate cake at the birthday party. It's what are they doing 20 years from now? Right? What is the long-term goal? And trying to set them up for that kind of success and understanding that progress, in order to progress appropriately and responsibly, you have to forsake this idea of perfection. Like you're gonna have this perfect child that's gonna like eat vegan 100% of the time. I don't know if that exists in planet Earth. Maybe it does, but it hasn't been our experience. Um, so that's kind of in a nutshell how yeah, we do it. And then what do you, how do you address the yeah, baby killer thing? Well, I just want to, I want to wrap that up also. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think is really powerful and it's been kind of my, my process is I don't get inv emotionally involved in my children's likes and dislikes. Like if my child shows up and I've, you know, I've prepared some Brussels sprouts and she says, mom, I hate Brussels sprouts. I, I look at her and I go, yeah, I get it. Like, okay, I hear you. And then the next day, there'll be Brussels sprouts on the table. I don't, and I'm not being disrespectful, but I just, um, I'm listening to her, but I'm not gonna change the way that I'm cooking in the, in the kitchen because she doesn't like something. So what I do is I keep making lots of varieties of whole foods, whole plant-based foods. And so what happens is the tribe is just around the experience and they're all grabbing whatever. And then in a month, she has a full plate of Brussels sprouts and she's eating it. So again, we have a lot of this emotional battle around food. And if you just, you just remain neutral and don't get involved in it, um, it can be very, very powerful. And um, yeah, I just feel, again, you know, we have to allow people their own experience, including our children, and finding their own way. And all of our kids are vegan by cho choice. They all cook. My 13-year-old, who is very sassy and 13-ish, um, much to my really shock, um, she chose as her semester project 
plant-based Italian cuisine, and she created some pretty amazing recipes. So uh, even if you think they're rebelling or they're not seen, you know, it's a whole lifestyle. So how do we address the negative people? Hmm. I would say that that experience is an opportunity for you to reflect on your commitment to your own personal instinct and mission, right? It's like a mirror for how strongly you feel about what you're doing. It's like a gut check on that because if somebody's expressing displeasure or judgment at some choice that you're making, that really speaks to them rather than you, right? So how you take that, I think, is a reflection upon where you're at with yourself, with the behaviors that you're engaging in. And, you know, like I said in, in my talk, I was on the receiving end of a fair amount of that throughout my journey. And then Julie kind of alluded to some struggles and challenges that we had as a family. And we were on the receiving end of a lot of judgment um, from external circumstances. And I think that that ultimately brought us closer together as a couple and as a family because we were so committed to this vision and this journey that we were on. Um, but because we shared that, we were able to have that experience. If you're not certain, it could, it could tear you apart just as equally, I think. So it's a, very powerful, um, it's a very powerful thing. And I think in order to properly weather it, you have to really know what you're doing and, and, and believe in what you're doing and, and be in a place where you've done enough internal work that you can really trust your instincts about this journey that you're on. Yeah, and I, that, think, I don't know if that answers I the think question. Just to add to Rich, I think, again, we have to remember that our, our power as beings is in neutral, loving compassion, and everybody has their moment. You know, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a battle, and it's, for me, it's not an ism. You know, once you've made it an ism, you've created a set of rules that leave someone on the outside. So this is your process of your life, and you can listen to other people's experience, just like I listened to my daughter tell me she hates Brussels sprouts, and not get involved emotionally and scream back at her, yes, Brussels sprouts are awesome. So just be in your own process, create a lot of healthy you know, choices, and shine. Be a shining example. Show up at your friends with amazing dishes that you make. Blow their minds. And don't get caught up if they're, if they're still eating meat or if they eat something that you don't eat. You know, you just navigate your way around it uh, respectfully and, uh, you know, honor everybody in their own journey. Imagine if you were only eating potatoes. Yeah, whoa. What kind of judgment kind would of you be receiving? What kind of flack does he get? <laughs> yeah. In a Greek family? Not good. <laughs> Thank you. You did answer it. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, hey guys. How's it going? Hi. Oh, here we are. There we go. And my question is also in two parts, um, and it's to Rich um, primarily. Um, I listened to your podcast, and obviously back when you were a lawyer and um, you were quite overweight before you got into exercise, who is the, who's kind of the one person that you never thought you'd have on the podcast um, is the first one. And then the second part is, um, where do you get your protein? No, it's not. And the second part is, um, the second part is um, when was the kind of tipping point? Obviously, you've built the podcast up over three or four years, when was the kind of tipping point when you went, oh, this is kind of like mm -hmm. a big thing, it's a big deal? Cool, thanks for your question. Um, well, who did I never think that I would ever be able to have on the podcast? That answer is obvious, SpudFit, of course, <laughs> right? Um, I don't know, it's a good question. I've had the opportunity 
to interview and spend time with some pretty remarkable people. Um, I've joked about this before, but the podcast is like the ultimate scam because it gives you this excuse to call up and pester amazing people and convince them to sit down in front of you and you can hold them hostage for a long period of time and ask them questions and they willingly oblige. It's unbelievable. Uh, so yeah, I've had the opportunity to interview like Ariana Huffington and Steve Case, the founder of AOL and like Biz Stone, the co-founder of Twitter, like people that have really shaped culture in a very profound way. And those are meaningful experiences to me, but perhaps not the most meaningful of all the guests that I've had. You know, I really, the people that I resonate with the most and have meant the most to me to have on are the anonymous people that are doing amazing things, uh, you know, not necessarily in the public eye. Um, you know, people like Josh Lajani, who I've had on, and David Carter, who have, you know, basically overcome incredible obstacles to do interesting things for no other reason that they made a commitment to themselves. And I, I take a lot of joy in being able to put a microphone in front of somebody like that and, and, and allow them to share their, you know, their personal story with a broader audience. Um, so hopefully that answers your question. In terms of the second part, uh, there was no tipping point, really. It was really just a very slow, organic growth curve. Um, there wasn't like one interview that I had that like blew it out and put it on the map in any big way. And I think it's kind of a beautiful example of the same approach that I've applied to everything from training for the races that I've done or you know whatever I've tried to achieve in my life. It's like just consistently showing up and putting in the work, you know, and divorcing yourself or removing your emotional attachment to the result and just continuing to show up, to show up, to show up. Consistency carries the day. And, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that over four and a half years of doing the podcast, like I've never missed a week. Like I've always been able to put up a show. They're not always going to be the best shows or whatever. Sometimes it's all over the map, but like continuing to show up, to show up, to show up. And I really believe that that is a huge um, aspect of the success equation for the program. Yes. Who's got a mic? There we are. Uh, firstly, thanks a lot, both of you, um, for just like, you know, opening up the door to your lives. And um, I know I'm probably speaking for everyone in the room when truly inspiring to just stand here and like listen to the story. Um, and obviously the podcasts are amazing. So please never stop. Um, I'm going to have to stop at some point. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man, keep it going. Um, my question is, you know, with the topics that you raise, Rich, in your podcasts, you know, some of them are pretty hard-hitting um, on a global standpoint, as well as when you touch on, I guess, specifically in the U.S. Um, how do you, you know, and you've obviously done your homework when before each podcast because your line of questioning is quite, um, you know, you take them on a journey. How do you not get, like, severely emotionally attached to the content that you deliver? Because, you know, the last one, uh, What the Health, these guys are doing some amazing things. How do you just not drop everything and say, I gotta do something more than what I'm doing because mm -hmm. these are serious issues? Um, or, you know, the, the clothing industry and just all these things that are like global, massive issues. Um, how do you, how does that not get to you? And then second question, sorry for the two-parters, but um, what's, the, what's the next step for both of you? Because like, you've had so many arms of your kind of like progression you know, with the retreats and the books and the podcasts, what's next? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for your question. Um, I do get emotionally involved and attached to the guests that I have on. That's like my criteria for having them on in the first place. Like I'm not interested in having somebody come on and share some amazing message and being immunized emotionally from that or behaviorally. Like I want, I'm doing it because I want to grow and I'm interested in what they have to say and I want to change and I want to be an agent of that change. Um, so when I'm looking for guests to have on the show, I, I need to, they need to like emotionally, con you know, I need to be able to emotionally connect with that. Otherwise, it doesn't work for me and it's not gonna be a good show anyway. But I think what you're getting at is that there has to be a level of self-care. You know, you can't just, oh my God, you know, what are you gonna do, throw up your hands? Like, I can't wear these clothes anymore and I can't eat this food and I can't do this and I can't do that. And there's a paralysis that can like descend upon you where you feel like everything's fucked and like, what, you know, what's the, what's the use? So I always kind of, think to something Gene Bauer said to me, Gene Bauer being the founder of Farm Sanctuary. He said, you know, he was talking about veganism, but he was saying it's aspirational. And I think that's applicable to any kind of lifestyle change that you're trying to make. Like we're aspiring to be better. And that has to come with incremental behavioral change. So whether that applies to the food that's on your plate or the, you know, the, the, the consumer products that you choose to you know, put your dollar towards, the idea is to be more mindful, to do a little bit better tomorrow than you did today, to be that agent of change. And I try to incorporate those ideas and practices into my life and use the podcast to activate as many people as I can with the understanding that I'm not perfect and you know, I'm not gonna be able to you know, uh, just live like a monk in the world and that the podcast is going to reach however many people it's gonna reach and it's gonna activate however many people that it's gonna activate and ultimately I have to be okay with that, right? You have to take care of yourself first because you can't tend to others or to the world unless you're taking care of yourself first. So that's the first part of the question. The second part, where are we headed? What are we doing? I don't know, we're here today, man. That's what's happening, that's what's up, you know? You know, it, I don't have like a five-year plan or a 10-year plan. I you know, certainly have ideas that I would like to see fully expressed. I'm, I'm working on a new book and there's things like that. But whether it's public speaking or the podcast or you know, whatever it is, um, books, cookbooks, music, they're all just different distribution platforms and mechanisms to try to put a healthy message out into the world. So my only interest is being able to continue to do what we do and, and to be of maximum service to the frequency of people like yourselves that show up and are vibrating on this wavelength. Yeah, and if I can just add, um, I have a plant-based cheese book that's being released in June. It comes out on June 13th. I'm extremely proud of it. It's called This Cheese is Nuts. Mm -hmm. And um, it was named by our, our, our friends, filmmakers, Zoe Lister-Jones and Daryl Ween. Daryl actually named it. He actually came to my house and was tasting my cheese. And he was like, Julie, do you have a title? He's like, this cheese is nuts. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I'm super excited about that. We did a really cool shoot at Farm Sanctuary. McClay shot some incredible shots with me, with Gene Bauer's Rescue Cows, the Dairy Cows. And so I hope you guys will check that out. And then I'm also very pleased to announce that we, uh, we also created the follow-up to the Plant Power Way, which is coming out in April 2018. It's Plant Power Italia. 
And it's an extraordinary collection of amazing food. So we're still trying to create really great, easy recipes to support all of us in making this very needed transformation. And actually, this is a, a moment I... We had books that are stuck in customs, unfortunately. The Plant Power Way. Mm. And uh, Andrew wanted me to mention that um, the New Normal is actually going to sell them through their website. So they'll be here in Australia. So he'll help you figure that out if you guys d would like to get a book and don't have it. We apologize that that happened. All right. You've actually Where just answered one of my questions I was going to ask. But firstly, I'd like to say it's a privilege to have you guys here tonight. And if you'd love to stay, I'm sure everyone in the room would be happy for you too. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> But uh, Rich, two-part question. It seems Why? like it's the theme. But I'm, What's up with the two-part? I two like how partners. you guys are so yeah. efficient. I'm, I'm going to wrap this up tightly. You've obviously shared your experience along your journey and the challenges around the financial hardship that you faced as a family. What was the turning point that you realised that you could make this into a business to obviously provide for your family? But more important, importantly, after that, when was the actual turning point that you realised it was more than that and it was a community? Um, great question. I don't know how to answer that or whether I have a satisfying answer for that. I think um, the turning point in terms of knowing that, so, so the turning point in terms of knowing that like we could make a living doing this, is that, yeah. That we weren't completely crazy. <laughs> yeah, or, <laughs> I remember, they're kind of one and the same. I remember after doing, uh, it was after Ultraman 2009, I think, and, and Sanjay Gupta from CNN had taken an interest in, in my story. And he was like reading my blog, and I found out about this, which was like blowing my mind. In the United States, he's like a major like news correspondent guy on television. And he wanted to come out to our house and, and, interview, and interview me, which was just shocking and astounding to me. So we're weathering this crazy sort of financial meltdown that we were dealing with. And we were having trouble like paying our, our uh, utility bills. And I remember Julie wanted to make this beautiful lunch for him. Like she, she wanted him to like our food and all this sort of stuff. And he was coming out and she, she tells this story where she was like ready to turn the burner on on the stove and like praying that the gas was gonna work. Like this is, like we're gonna, it was like this crazy moment of walking the razor's edge where we were either gonna like realize all our dreams and like what's happening tonight could be a possibility for us or we were just gonna wither on the vine and die. Like it was gonna go either way. Luckily the gas worked. We were able to make this lunch for Sanjay Gupta and we had this beautiful experience but, um, in the, in the moment after that happened and before it aired, we thought, you know, we're gonna be on CNN. Like we should be able to, probably gonna be a lot of people coming to our website. So maybe we should have like something we can offer people. So I literally didn't sleep for two days and created this like PDF cookbook with Julie's recipes. I'm like a hack on Photoshop, but I knew enough to like get in trouble and put something together that we could at least make available to people. Um, and we put up this little PDF cookbook for $9 and it was live on the site when the thing aired and we got inundated with traffic and emails and I remember getting so many emails in the wake of that story airing. It was like, they actually, CNN let me write a guest blog post for CNN and it was also, it was on the homepage of CNN that day because it was getting so much traffic and so our whole world like kind of exploded and I was getting so many emails from people sharing the intimate details of their own personal struggles and stories. And I remember being in the car with Julie and we were driving down the street and I was on my phone and I was reading her some of these and I just started crying. Like I couldn't believe 
that this sort of journey that we were on had suddenly become public and that it was connecting with people in a certain way. And it was, it was very overwhelming, but it was a moment in which I realized like, maybe there's a way for us to you know, carry this message and, and find a way to do it where we can sustain our family at the same time. And that little PDF that we created ended up like paying our bills for two years or something like that. So those kind of two things amazing. happened at the same time. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. Yeah, and, and also on that same subject is, um, I mean, we had many moments, and, and I want to say that uh, it seemed like when we were in our darkest moment, because it you know, was a trickle, it didn't like solve everything, but it would be a trickle, right? And then we were still in our complete destruction. So um, what would happen is we would be like break down in Starbucks crying, like in public from the pressure. And then one of you guys would email us, and you would be like, we, you know, you changed my life, like you helped me. And, and you guys don't know it, but at that moment, like God sent you to keep us going because it was so hard. And we didn't know, we were right on this razor's edge. We were like, we're either gonna realize all our dreams or we're gonna be completely annihilated. And it was right down the middle. There was no, there was no clear either way. And it was beautiful because PETA was one of the first organizations around this time to take interest in Rich. And they invited him to give an award away at their like Academy Awards in, in LA. And he was going to share the stage with Alec Baldwin. We had no money. And Rich's, none of Rich's suits from when he was a lawyer fit him. They were like three <laughs> sizes too big. And I tried, I called a friend of mine, Ling, who owns Planet Blue in California, and I convinced her to like loan me a dress from the store that I would return. And I tried to fake like I was a stylist to get him a suit, and no one would give me a suit. And we got a check for 650 bucks from Vitamix or something like that. And we spent the entire 650 bucks to get him a proper suit to stand on the stage. It was just these kind of crazy, you know, 
completely illogical things going on. It was the juxtaposition of having no gas, you know, no utilities, and seeing CNN cameras walking up. <laughs> you know, like most of the time we were just like, shit. <laughs> We sound so irresponsible. <laughs> Let's see. Hi, th thank you for your openness mm. and honesty, especially today as well. Um, two parts. <laughs> uh, firstly is, especially on the vegan diet, you find that sometimes you'll have a hell of a lot of energy and you can do whatever you want to do. And sometimes you find as though maybe it's pulling back a little bit or you don't quite have that same pull towards everything which you need to get through to. Hmm. So the first part of it is how do you push through those times and keep, keep on a particular regimen or keep yourself active when, it's, when it slows down because naturally you've had to have done that as an endurance athlete. And the second aspect is with regards to doing exercise together because obviously you're at two very different fitness levels. Uh, how do you keep encouraging each other to to sort of push each other to where your own limits are as, to, as opposed to where the higher one is, so to mm -hmm. speak. Thank you. Um, thank you for your question. So the first part, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around it. So the idea that, well, first of all, you're presupposing that there are moments where the, the plant-based diet doesn't work for me and I'm, I'm having to find a way through it. I'm not, not, not sure. Not so much for you, but for myself. Oh, so for from yourself. My own I see. So you're having issues where you're feeling like it's not working for you? Um, or it's not, you're not getting the right energy from it? Or? Not necessarily, um, but from, whether it's from the plant-based diet or if it's, from, if it's from sleep patterns or if it's from the type of exercise I'm doing, whatever it is, have you run into those same type of, same type of roadblocks or what have you tried to amend or what have you tried to adjust for yourself? Um, Okay, yeah, so, well first, no, I'm super duper all the time, 100% of the time, it's awesome, 24 hours a day, yeah. Thanks, thanks, cool. <laughs> um, Julie calls those people super dupers. You know when you, you, like, you go to a conference, hi, I'm Jake, I'm, I'm good, I'm great, how are you, you know? I don't trust those people. Um, they're hiding something. Uh, yeah, of course I have up and down days, I'm very human, I have cravings, I'm you know, a recovering alcoholic, that makes me difficult to live with, ask her. Um, you know, my <laughs> but we're kind of face. Uh, yeah, I struggle with irritability and discontentment and resentment and fatigue and you know, all the anxiety, like all the kinds of things that you know, I think we all share as, as human beings. Um, for me, a lot of it is rooted in 12-step, in things I've learned in recovery. Uh, when I'm not taking care of myself, you know, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, or physically, I get uh, restless, irritable, and discontent. Um, I'm prone to snap at people and make improper decisions and be reactive. And amazingly, the cure for most of that is eating a decent meal or getting a good night's sleep or uh, you know, picking up the phone and, and getting out of your own head and your own problem and being of service to somebody else, practicing gratitude in some respect or another. Uh, it's annoying that the cure for these is always the same. I keep looking for the velvet rope in the VIP room that I can walk into and graduate from my humanity, but um, it always, I always go back to those things. And, and, you know, I don't do any of that perfectly by any stretch of the imagination. Do you have anything to add to that? 
That was very well said. Was it? Um, the part about me being difficult to live with? Yes. <laughs> I guess you were asking how do we, how do we train together? Or how do we, oh, okay, so we don't train together at all, yeah. ever. Disaster. I am a completely different being. We have two completely opposite. I can't even imagine you running. Like, no, I actually. What would that look like? I threatened <laughs> once. I was like, I think I'm going to start riding my bike. And he was like, because, you know, no. if there's two cyclists in one family, that can be problematic. But no, um, I only practice yoga, asana practice, and different kinds of yoga practices. That's just my, um, that's my physical movement of choice. And Rich is beautifully supported in extreme uh, athletics. It's just really, really good for him. Um, some of my friends will say to me, you know, well, you must be a, like a, you know, athletic widow or something because he trains so much. But I get this really beautiful quality of a human being when he's completely done all of that. And so, um, yeah, we never, ever exercise together. <laughs> and we never fight, ever. <laughs> and... We totally fight, mm. but we always make up. More importantly, so so just just quickly to, to expand on it. Sorry. Uh, mm. So you naturally don't expect you to train together, but how do you continue to encourage each other to be pushing forward and to push each other to newer heights, so to speak? Okay, well, I'll answer that. Um, I don't push him at all. Um, we're both extremely independent. And the focus of our transformation or our life path is a completely inner one. So I think we um, respect each other and we have a very deep commitment between each other. And within that, there's an extreme amount of freedom. So I think that's... But you have my back and I have your back and we understand that. So that support is there. Yeah. Thank you. How are you guys going? Yeah, Great. Um, so uh, I turned vegan um, just over a year ago, and then I researched it, and I obviously found your podcast, which gave me loads of tools, and it, I've really found it really, really great. But on a um, on like a deeper sort of level, I was kind of a vegan that was still kind of heavily drinking and partying a lot, which kind of is a bit of a bit of a weird scenario mm -hmm. to be in. So um, yeah, I just wanted to personally thank you both because I've listened to your podcast, especially the one with um, Mishka Shabali. And I kind of felt that like I didn't need to kind of live my life to reach a real kind of bottom. And I could just kind of learn from what you guys spoke about and just to kind of try and improve my life that way. So thanks Beautiful. for that. Beautiful. Yeah, cool. thank you. Mishka will be thrilled. Let's tell Mishka. Yeah, yeah that's great. Mm -hmm. Hi. Um, where are we looking? Ah, there you go. Yes. Um, I have a one-part question. Um, Rebel. It has to be two. Yeah. <laughs> so I was on, my, on the phone to my wife, who's in Adelaide. I'm from Adelaide, um, tonight. And she said, say hello to your mate, Rich. Uh, she doesn't like you very much. Um, because uh, two, two years ago, you inspired me to uh, change my life and become vegan. And I am, have gone from being the unhealthiest person in my house to the healthiest person in my house. Beautiful. Um, Thank you. That's awesome. So uh, once upon a time, you know, salad was the garnish on the plate, in my opinion, uh, and, uh, and meat was what it was all about. 
This is really a question for you, Julie. So, so I am now uh, you know, looking at my wife, who's a relatively healthy eater by normal standards, but wishing she was you know, where I am today. And I imagine you must have gone through that journey with Rich. How did you uh, not become preachy uh, about, uh, about why he needed to change? And how did you remain strong uh, through those years? Thank you, really great question. And uh, okay, so this is, a, this is actually a very key part of our, of our journey together. And that was that I was very preachy. I actually wasn't that preachy, but I had a lot of awareness in the early days when he was eating the window diet and he was using, using coffee as a drug, literally, like a venti coffee with three ad shots. Um, and he was suffering too. He also wasn't happy. He wasn't like, yeah, this is awesome. He was like, you know, the alcoholism was clearly activated. Um, he was unhappy. Uh, so for many years, I, I felt that I knew how to help him and I would try to reach to him. And I would say, here, you know, or, or I was always reading books or going through transformation or I would leave something on his pillow or I would just, you know, offer something. And it, it was the craziest thing because it seemed like the more that I extended myself, the more paralyzed he became. He just would recoil and like just become even worse. And so it was a, a tricky thing that eluded me for many years. I wasn't that fast of a learner because I think it took like seven years of me banging my head against the wall. And I had a lot of conversations with a lot of girlfriends who told me how right I was because clearly I was right because I was healthy and I healed myself of this cyst. And I wasn't, you know, I was advocating sort of higher concepts of living. And it wasn't until I did a meditation uh, program with this one Indian master, one, one of my many Indian masters that I've worked with in my life. So many Indian masters. So many. Masters. Like, our, like ha our revolving house revolving door like, of Indian masters. They say, they say about me, she's, she left no rock unturned. So if you have any spiritual questions, just come ask me. But anyway, uh, he, he proposed to me the, the uh, concept of human love versus divine love. And he said, human love is simply a business relationship, right? We say, I love you if you do these things. And then if you don't do these things, then you're, you know, I'm leaving you, basically. So in contrast to divine love, is like the sun. It simply shines on every part of creation, non-discriminatory, just because. So basically we can say that we are loved simply for our existence, simply for the fact that we exist. Before any diets have been conquered, any body types, any titles earned, or any goals achieved. And you know when you learn how to ski or snow ski or surf or whatever and you have at that one-tenth instructor that finally says that thing to you and you finally can grab it. This was like this for me, and it was at that moment that I released Rich to his life. But I released him to his life in love. I didn't release him to his life in retaliation. And I, and I called him and I said, I, I realized that I had had my energy in his space, that I had had an attachment that hit he realized spiritually the way that I was in my lifetime. And instead, I took the perspective that he was my husband, and we were married, and we were in love, and that he also was divine, even while eating In-N-Out Burger, even while drinking coffee with three ad shots. And that act of love, I really did, 
I embodied it. It was true. Like it, it was didn't, it was a clear change. But that act of love is in fact what catalyzed his awakening and this entire scenario. So what should he do about his wife? I'm just sharing the perspective. So he can see yeah. you should love your wife unconditionally the way she is right now and keep living the life that you are living and really understand that there is a greater play. And, and just like people change when they are loved, when they are loved unconditionally. We all want that acceptance and want to be seen that way. And so in my experience from the story that I just shared with you, it's the most powerful thing that you can do. Now, is, does that mean she's gonna start eating the way that you are or you guys are gonna be, you know, get on the circuit? Like, I don't know that. It's within your life plan. But I will tell you that there is a great power in holding somebody in that light. And then you can allow life to kind of have its way with you and produce something beautiful in your relationship. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I found out about your books uh, from Amazon, and um, uh, I've got probably too many questions. I'm vegan curious, um, so uh, B12, vitamin B12 supplementation, do you need to take any supplements to have a satisfactory diet? Um, second question is, when you're on holidays, how do you try to stay vegan or keep to a plant-based diet? Mm -hmm. um, while you're in a, a place where you don't know where all the shops are or things like that. Um, you look like you have a lovely family from your books. And I um, uh, also wanted to say, um, what else? <laughs> Sorry. A three-parter. <laughs> three-parter. <laughs> oh, will you be, uh, have the time to sign your books tonight? We would love to sign books tonight, although our books got held up in customs. Oh, if you brought some yeah. here? Um, oh, you brought your books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think when we're done here, we okay, could, thank I'm you. sure we can make thank that you. arrangement. Um, thank you for your question. Uh, B12, most doctors would recommend that you supplement with B12 if you're on a plant-based diet. It seems to be the one vitamin that is missing from this nutritional regimen, and that's a whole conversation I'm happy to have with anybody. It has to do with soil and et cetera, and it's kind of boring. But yeah, B12. But I think everybody needs to, should, or I would recommend everybody get a proper blood test and evaluate what your various deficiencies may or may not be and sort of act, you know, from there. There's a lot of people that are vitamin D deficient, et cetera, et cetera. Andrew would be a much better person to answer all of those questions than, than I. Um, the second question was remaining vegan while you travel. Um, <clears throat> it's easy to future trip about that, like, oh my God, I have to go to a wedding in a year. What am I going to eat? You know, I can't go vegan now. Um, <laughs> I've traveled all over. I've been to crazy places. I've been to Pakistan. I've been to Lebanon a couple times. I've been to three cities in Saudi Arabia. Uh, I've been to Morocco. I've been, I've been to a lot of places. And I've always been able to maintain a plant-based diet no matter where I go. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to get it exactly the way that I want it, and I'm certainly not going to get the kind of food that Julie makes uh, at home. 
um, but I've always been able to make it work. And you know, there's a couple practices that, uh, that are helpful with that. Um, I try to stay in hotel rooms that have little kitchenettes, which makes it a little bit easier. If you're flying somewhere, maybe once you land, go directly, you know, search on your phone. We have these supercomputers in our pockets. They're very powerful. They answer a lot of questions. You can find out where the natural food market is, go there before you even check into the hotel, get what you need. You know, always have healthy options like within arm's reach. Make sure you bring a lot of snacks on your long flight. Uh, there's an app called Happy Cow. It will tell you where all the vegan restaurants are, no matter where you travel throughout the world. Um, and when you're in restaurants that perhaps don't seem like they're going to be vegan friendly, you can approach the wait staff and pleasantly inquire what they might be able to make for you that might be off the menu. I've always had good experiences with that and have been able to make it work. So a lot of that for, I've learned is sort of imagined projection that we think it's gonna be a lot harder than it actually turns out to be. Do you have anything to add on that? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then a couple things are, um, in the early days, we used to travel with our Vitamix. If, it's, if you're driving somewhere, we just bring the Vitamix with. Um, so that's another thing. And then if you're going out to dinner and you don't know if there's gonna be vegan options, we, we get in the habit of just eating before we go. So if there's only a side salad or there's a potato, but that's not really travel as much, but. Potatoes. And I've got to be the bit of a party pooper up here. I've been told that we've kind of got to wrap mm -hmm. up the show. Um, is that going to be all right? Cool. One little question down here. Please. Yeah. <laughs> One more and then we're done. All right, from the okay, beginning. thank you. Um, a year ago, I would not have ex expected myself to stand here um, and talking uh -huh. to you guys. One of the points you mentioned was you can reinvent yourself, um, and I've done that pretty much throughout my life a couple of times. And just Beautiful. recently, I started the Make Revolution to bring people of dairy and ultimately into plant-based diet. Um, and I'm really excited about um, how nuts is this cheese. Can't wait. And also to Rich, I just would love to know what do I have to do to at one stage be at your podcast and can I just keep you updated about our process? <laughs> <laughs> and one last question at the end. Can I have a selfie at the end? Yeah, I think we'll do as many selfies as people want. That was um, a two-parter. Yes, anybody who who asks to be on the podcast gets to be on the podcast, right? <laughs> that was a joke. No, I don't know. You know. You're welcome to email me. We'll see. You know? But be extraordinary. Be your best, most authentic self. I will. See. All right. Cool. All right. Thank um, you. Yeah, thanks, yeah. thanks for coming. We've got to wrap it up. Thank awesome. you so much, you guys. Thank you. We love you, Sydney. Really appreciate you guys showing up. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. It's been a long, hard road down the line. I lost the truest part of who I am How much can one man take Nothing seems to stick I've got to find my way To be the one for you 
Thank you. 